Gua sobro. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, welcome back to episode 160 of the Third Sub Podcast. I'm your co-host, Alexander Gagarusic, joined as always by Samuel Owen on the Third Sub. I can just say the Third Sub, not the Third Sub Podcast. Of course, we'll lead off the show with uh, you know, a bit of new, exciting news about the future of the Third Sub and uh, BTS and 86 Forever and all that encompasses. But in terms of the Third Sub podcast, we're back. Episode 160 of the show. Lots to break down in Whitecaps land. Of course, they played through the international break, as did everyone else in MLS. In a very strange match day. Uh, and they're back. They continue that. And they now get to play CF Montreal in a more regular match day. CONCACAF Champions League also looming. So after a bit of a break in the sense of no midweek matches for, for a bit, the, the busy schedule is back. They've got some big games. But before we dive into all that, Sam, how are we doing? And I guess maybe do we want to dive it, start by diving into to some of the news we have? Well, I, I was going to say yes, but you know what, Alex? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us off topic right away. I just want to ask you, how is the environment in Toronto for that Honduras match? Because, uh, you know, big big 4-1 victory. Obviously, you were there. Um, some, some thoughts from prominent people like Craig Forrest about the ticket prices, about the, the environment. Uh, just, yeah, curious for... I haven't actually talked to you about this, so curious for your thoughts. And then, yeah, we're going to dive into... Uh, to some of the stuff going on uh, with the site but yeah just curious for your thoughts there you're uh you know prominent member of the canada men's national team media so uh like to know what you think yeah i mean it was uh nice to be out at, at bmo field for for canada game you know no matter what you, you think of them playing games in, in toronto and that's a whole other discussion it's always phenomenal atmosphere there it's it's a nice stadium in terms of just noise it's something where not the greatest attendance in the world, 13,500 uh, at BMO for this game, but it was still loud. It was still, you know, it felt like it was a 20, 25,000. Uh, and I think it was some great soccer. So all of that was great. It's something else at the same time where Canada's first game back after the Men's World Cup, they hadn't been in 36 years, something where you'd like a little more than 13,500. I think it becomes into a very interesting discussion about how the national team needs to be priced and looked at going forward because it's something where look it's you know maybe there's financial implications i mean i had many people say oh well yeah they only had fourteen thousand, but they made just as much money if they sold out the stadium with cheaper tickets look i get it there are financial realities to consider but there's also the reality that canada soccer is a growing soccer entity and sometimes when you're making business decisions you make sacrifices now, short-term pain, as a famous person once said, for long-term gain. And I don't think there's much long-term gain to be had when only 13,500 people are out there watching. Because imagine it's a sold-out stadium and they get to see Ismail Kone have a breakout game. If they get to see Alfonso Davies do his thing, Kyle Aaron keeps scoring, Jonathan David, all this, you know, one of Canada puts on one of their best lineups, puts out a just a good 4-1 win over Honduras. Again, that's sort of win 
doesn't happen often at least like this is the new reality like before five years ago canada would be happy with a 2-1 win against honduras so the fact that only 13 and a half thousand were there to witness the new, this new growth this new history and even i guess also on a, a other side this that could have been a team hutchinson's last home games you're telling me only 13 and a half thousand there for that no i think it's it's a bit ridiculous so that was the whole balance that that that, that mood of Excited to, to watch the, the the men's national team back in action. Great to see a win, but also bittersweet that it couldn't have been in front of more, in front of a louder, more rowdy, more more just hostile crowd for for the wayside. Yeah, I mean, I know we don't talk on this show specifically as much as much about the national team as we used to, but I thought it was you know that's a prominent match first um, first game back on home soil since the World Cup. It was worth mentioning, but. As you said off the top, we've got some some websites, some platform news to announce. We've obviously been teasing it for a little while on the show, uh, but simply put, Alex, I mean we're we're doing what we maybe should have done a long time ago, which was just sort of bringing all bringing all of the brands together. Um, the whole SB Nation thing created an opportunity, so uh, the third sub is no longer just a podcast; it is a uh, a full feature website. We're bringing the 86 forever gang in We're we're bringing in what was between the sticks and we're keeping running with the third sub podcast and uh, you know, bringing those three entities together, I think gives us the opportunity to just hopefully read a lot, reach a wider audience, um, integrate everything really nicely have, you know, at least from my perspective, coming from the SB nation side, have full control over the website uh, full control over all the little details. And then something we've talked about as well going forward is uh, greater coverage of the CPL. I mean, there's now two BC CPL teams, which is uh, an underreported story, I think, so far. <laughs> League One BC had a tremendous breakout last year. Uh, the league's really growing. Even the you know Vancouver-based uh, men's semi-pro teams, we're, we're seeing all around the country uh, top amateur slash lower level professional uh, leagues really growing. We want to do more coverage of that. We want to also enable some young journalists to provide more coverage of that. So the goal of the third sub is to bring all of this stuff together in a really accessible, usable, enjoyable platform. And so um, we, we hope that you'll, you'll check out the new site. You'll enjoy the content. And uh, also something I would emphasize too is, if you have feedback, if you have questions, if you have comments, concerns, bring them to us. Like we want this to be a collaborative enterprise to uh, really keep everyone informed about everything that's going on in West Coast Canadian soccer. So, uh, you know, we can only do it together with your support. And, and so we'll we'll definitely appreciate that going forward. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll Alex, I don't know what you want to say about it, but uh, th- those are my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, very, very, very well said, Sam, of course, as always. Um, But yeah, I just think it's an exciting venture, I guess, is the way to put it, because it feels right now, BC, you know, soccer in BC feels like it's at such a great standpoint. Like the fact I just love that I was in BC all of last summer and I just got to witness a CanCham final, got to witness Canadian men's national team play there. I got to witness Canadian women's national team play there. I got to witness a phenomenal BC League One season. I just got to witness all that. And then you all of a sudden you look ahead to this summer being back in BC, all of a sudden there could be another can champ final. There's TSS Rovers hosting Valor FC. There could be more men's and women's national team games 
in the future. And again, this is just the start. It feels like it's really exploding in terms of interest ahead of 2026. You know, maybe we can finally fix that BC problem in terms of, you know, not many BC players making the national teams on the men's and women's side. That's a whole other story. But hey, we'll be there to to cover it on. I think it's just great to to have all the all forever on on you know on board with the with the BTS team under this new umbrella. I think one thing that was clear, of course, having done as many pods as I've had with Sam in particular. So he's the one that uh had the chance to to work with most. I just love the the passion that there is for for soccer in BC. And I think it's you know great that we just get to continue, you know, watching, talking, and writing about the white caps. I think that's of course kind of the main venture that that brought us all together. And it's how we met a lot of them and you know just gotta start this podcast. But also I think it's it's clear there's also a passion and a need and a drive for for more interest in BC soccer. And it's a great time to do that. So I think that's for me what's most exciting about this is that we you know, continue get to to do what, you know, was was the the fun and main part of our sites, but also continue to expand and and, and grow and and you know really be there as as you know soccer in this province in particular, but also I guess you could say in this country, just it's growing and and, and at a at a very e ascension inflection point, no matter how you look at it. Absolutely. I mean I think it's cool too that, you know, our our first ever encounter was in a white caps press box and and both of us at the time, pretty green, uh, didn't know the ropes, didn't know a lot of what was going on. And we sort of, you know, came up and got accustomed to everything that was going on together. And so, uh, yeah, now having the opportunity to do this and, uh, you know, sort of sort of work collaboratively on stuff going forward, not just in the podcast, but beyond is uh, super, super cool. So we hope that everyone enjoys it. Uh, we hope that you're along for the ride and uh, we're looking forward to what's to come. But that being said, we've got a Whitecaps match to dive into. Now, I will say in terms of the 1-1 draw with Minnesota, looking through it, it felt like so many of the same recycled talking points. So to be honest, we're not going to waste too much of your time with Minnesota recap because I don't know how much new I have to say. I mean, we go through the bullet points and it's pretty good possession football, nice domination of the midfield, uh, but a lack of scoring touch, a lack of finish. And then defensively, a pretty solid performance. I remember thinking to myself as I was watching the match, man, Ranko, Tristan Blackman, they're looking pretty good today. I haven't seen them give up much. And almost immediately, they get hit with a cross into the box and it's one nil Minnesota. So more of the same themes there. Um, yeah, Alex, before I, uh, I just recap the whole match here, uh, your big picture kind of macro takeaways from the third consecutive draw in MLS play. Vancouver Whitecaps is all I can think. Like what it's, it's something where, yeah, again, I guess we mentioned last week, it was a key time for the team. And uh, I, I think it's almost frustrating. It started like this just because, again, it's something where if you remove everything, which we don't often do, we're, you know, I think part of a reason uh, what we're good at on this show or bad at, depending on your perspective. Uh, but what we love to do is to, you know, dive into beyond the game because, you know, look at soccer There's really that there's, you know, the quote famous manager, the fine lines of the sport just means that, uh, there's going to be certain margins within results that look a three nil loss could be as close as a one, one draw. That's just the nature of the sport. Uh, it's something like for the 
cats. It's something where something has to give very soon. Like it's, it's, it's something where that's the hardest part of all this. Cause at least before there was more of a clear, like, okay, they are struggling here. They need to fix this. They're doing well here. And it's just this muddedness of actually playing again on, on at least statistically and by the eye test playing some of their best soccer, or if not the best that they're playing ever, they're not getting results for. It. And that's where the line is. It's like, what I was thinking when I was just hearing you describe all this, it's like that we're about to find out how patient, um, you know, are some of these white caps, uh, I guess, owners, <laughs> how patient is Axel Schuster? How patient is Annie Sartini? Because yeah, we, we, we certainly feel like the, the team's off to another slow start, but again, it's not like last year where there was injuries and they were just playing bad. They're playing well. And I think this Minnesota game sums it up that look, they were playing an undermanned, loons team that they needed to beat and they went out and dominated them on the road like anytime you get 2.2x as they did as you get as many shots you limit the you know minnesota to the chance you did that's a good game yet you only have a 1-1 draw to show for it and you're up to what three points plus play out of five that's not great and that's it's, it's just sums up the start for the white cap season it's been both equally frustrating but also equally promising and it the question becomes where does that and sit for you, you know, in terms of what is good and what is bad and what can. Yeah, I think you brought up an interesting point about patience because that that really seems like something that Whitecaps supporters uh, and the front office need a lot of at the moment, especially in terms of, I mean, without belaboring the point too much in terms of lineup decisions, right? Like Christian Dahomey is a number 10. It felt like every time the Whitecaps were promising in possession in this match, they had good buildup. It ended at Crescendo Homey's feet. And, and I feel really bad for him because this is not the way I wanted his season to go, right? Uh, you talked on the last podcast about his potential with Sergio Cordova out as a striker. I think that's a great idea. I can still like the idea of Crescendo Homey in that role uh, without being enthused by how he's playing as a number 10 you wonder just why you've got um, someone who's a potential, you know, top 25 under 25 in MLS type player in Pedro Vite riding the bench for the majority of the start of this season. That's really frustrating. Matias Laborda, I thought played really well, despite the fact it was at right back. The only moments where he looked a bit uncomfortable was when he was out of position because he's playing out of position. Uh, he didn't do fullback things amazingly but he's not a fullback so i think that's okay his passing actually in comparison to the concacaf champions league was a lot better like i think in one of those concacaf champions league matches he went something like two for nine on his crosses and his service was really poor his service was better in this match it wasn't amazing but it was still pretty good and i noted this in uh, one of the post-match things i wrote which is that i love laborda's sort of bull in a china shot mentality like he just runs in and physically dominates and overwhelms whoever's on the ball. And I think the Whitecaps could use more of that centrally right now because both Tristan Blackman and Ranko Veselinovic, if anything, the biggest knock on them is they get a bit passive and a bit stuck in their structure. They don't just sort of take charge and make a play on the ball. And I think I saw some of that from Laborda right back. So uh, shocker, spoiler alert, we'd like to see Matias Laborde as a center back. Um, nothing's new there, but but I did. I, I thought that even though he was out of position, 
it was a nice match uh, for the youngster at right back. Uh, I mean, one other thing, Alex, we, we can talk about and dive into here is uh, Nico's overhaul. The, the, the big sort of underlying news from the past week that doesn't have anything to do with this match is the, the parting ways of uh, the head of scouting and, uh, and, and the organization. And I think it's an interesting one because there are really two camps in terms of this issue. There's people that I think like us, for the most part, look at the track record of players brought in since overhaul has been part of this organization and go, whoa, there was a big shift in the quality of players they signed once overhaul took over. And then there's other people that say, well, they're still at the bottom of the table. Um, (laughs) you know, what gives, like, who cares? This is, this is still a terrible team. And, you know, I, to a certain extent, I can understand both points, but I think the, the fact that these two parted ways is very, very interesting because it's, it's certainly not something, uh, you know, going into this season that I saw coming. So uh, yeah, curious for, for your thoughts. Yeah. And I mean, it's a good spot to, to start because it feels like the overhaul firing or I guess departure would probably be the right you know, terminology, mutual Mutual. agreement. Yeah. (laughs) On on a Friday afternoon, always mutual agreement to part ways on a Friday afternoon. That's pretty standard. Yeah. How how convenient. So I think it's something where, look, it sounds like there was certainly a bit of disconnect maybe in recent months between both parties and, you know, who knows how that came out. Maybe it's something where who knows how much maybe overhaul ended up having less influence than, than we thought, or than he hoped. Etc. I mean, I think for the most part, it's been pretty clear that there's been a stark improvement since he was hired. So obviously, whatever feedback was going down the chain of command was for the most part good. But yeah, I feel like it's something where if that's a departure, it basically, I feel like it's something where, look, if it's, you know, it's a mutual parting away as it happens, overhaul, I'm sure will leave and will do well for himself. But it's something where it's it, there's a disconnect, it feels like, in how things are valued. Because it's something where look, if he's unhappy and he's leaving, well, if I were the Whitecaps, he's the kind of, he seems like the kind of executive that you'd want to keep happy and keep around based on your track record. And I feel like that just kind of sums up what's been going on with the team on the field. Cause we mentioned there's a lot of cases, like think of like a Dahomey. That's a, a someone where, look, that's a good player. You want to keep him around, but something is if he's miscast, you'd almost want him a bit, you know, maybe in a different role or maybe he has to shift to a super sub and then there's examples of players that you might want to stick in the lineup because it's kind of like an overhaul, like maybe their their output is understated and then they can't stay there to save their lives. And then it's kind of like, ooh, it just feels like there's this overall misvaluation of of talent and, you know, and, and where things fit and maybe even success, you could say, across the board. And I just feel like that overhaul decision sums it up where there's a lot of good pieces right now for the Whitecaps, uh, especially, you know, you say go back a week ago and overhaul was still in place. There's a lot of good pieces you know, off the, you know, on the sporting side, off the field, there's a lot of good pieces on the field. It just feels like not all of them are being put in the right puzzle. Like there's puzzles that are all over and the pieces are upside down. And it just feels like, you know, they're just, you know, going about fixing it the wrong way. They're like, oh, let's just throw away this puzzle piece. I don't want to find out where it fits when, you know, and and that's just frustrating because it's one thing to have to go out and get whole all new pieces altogether. And that doesn't feel like the problem with the white cap. So the fact that they're, willingly making their process of putting that uh you know whole picture together more frustrating for themselves seems like is that maybe the way to go doesn't seem 
logical. So this is one, Alex, that I'm really confused about because when when I saw the news come down, I thought to myself, well, Overhull must not be happy with the way his signings are being implemented. and He's gone. Screw this. I'm off to do something else. I don't need this club anymore. But then um, hearing from, from people I know, people I trust, a couple of people that reached out and kind of said, hey, this has been going on for a while. Um, this has been, you know, a good time coming. And that really it was the Whitecaps ownership and leadership group that was unhappy in the sense that they felt like Overhull had somehow not delivered on, I guess, his sales pitch coming in, in terms of specifically, I think the idea, maybe, you know, this is a consistent theme with Whitecaps ownership, uh, this idea that they're going to get, you know, they're going to pay a third of the price for a player of full value, right? And that they're going to um, just play that guy for a couple of years and then sell him for, you know, five times what he was worth when they brought him in. And I remember Axel Schuster, Alex, you know, when he did one of his round tables with, with us in the media, talking about how he would go to ownership and like provide the proposal of not only this is how this player is good for the team, but this is how this player is a good financial investment. Because I think with, with Mark DeSantos and with guys like Lucas Cavallini, uh, the Whitecaps owners weren't very happy with the fact that they buried $6 million and, and got nothing back, right? And so... Or even um, think Huang and Bung just to hop in because like that's an asset where absolutely. you look where he's playing now. They broke even, but they could have done a lot better. Absolutely. And so I, I was sort of reminded that as people pointed this out to me. And now, do, do I think that's the correct take? Like, absolutely not. You want to be a good MLS team, you have to spend money. Uh, and I think the Whitecaps have only just recently actually started doing what's required in order to be competitive. That being said, if I put myself in the owner's shoes, I look at Kyle Alexandre. What the heck is going on there? I, you know, I also wonder about as much as Ryan Gold, Julian Gressel, Alessandro Schopf, all terrific players, and they didn't, they didn't spend a ton to bring them in. Those aren't exactly appreciating assets at this point. Those are veteran players that you're probably not going to sell on for a massive fee and make a bunch of money. So I just wonder if there was ultimately a disconnect between, you know, Overhaul wanted to field a really competitive team and bring in the style of players he liked. And the owners were just looking for bringing in guys on the cheap and bringing them up and, and selling them on. Now, you know, uh, there, there's a game of telephone being played here. What exactly the owners want? What exactly Overhaul wanted? How Axel Schuster mediated and was the middleman here? You know, that there's a lot of supposition, but I think it's just clear from what I've heard that there was a pretty serious disconnect. And I guess Overhaul probably when he came in, sold or had the owners believing that they were on the same page and over time it turned out that, that wasn't the case. But I think just in terms of personnel, this is, this is a loss for this organization in the sense that they never thought about recruitment and roster composition strategically and in a forward thinking way up until this signing. And so now they're, 
they do have some scouts still in place, but they're taking a step back in that department where they've only just recently started to catch up to the rest of the league. So I think that's, that's just as a big picture takeaway, a, a pretty huge disappointment. And I, I hope that they find someone to fill those shoes, but I don't feel like that's imminent at the same time. Yeah. And I guess it kind of further speaks to that disconnect, what you described, because it feels like, yeah, from the ownership's perspective, if they want young appreciating assets, then why wasn't, you know, Kyle Alexander playing more? Cause that felt like an asset where given his age and why aren't you playing, playing Pedro Vite right now? Come boom, on. Boom. Exactly. Heck you paid money to bring in a, young center back from Uruguay. Why isn't he playing at center back appreciating your assets? Uh, you know, why aren't there maybe more Academy players playing just in the sense that, Hey, those come about as cheap as they can come. And that there's only upside with that. Of course you can argue how high is that upside and how high is the level. So that, that I find interesting. Again, it speaks to the disconnect or on the other side as well. You could look between the overhaul Schuster Sartini dynamic too, and be like, okay, if overhaul's, bringing all these players and you know vanny isn't able to play these you know these guys in their their right positions in the way overhaul then would it not make sense for schuster to bring in more of an overhaul coach or on the flip side like you know if if vanny's your guy and then you know overhaul isn't bringing in the right players then i guess you look for a different overhaul maybe that's what's going on but then if overhaul has been unhappy for a while does that mean a lot of the signings Schuster have made recently are not being used properly, so to speak, by Vanny. And is that an issue where Schuster has got to be the one looking like, okay, why, why are these players that I signed say, if that's the case, of course, aren't being used properly. And again, it just kind of speaks to that disconnect where there's not that there's a, a lack of clarity between how ownership and how overall, I guess you could add in now Schuster and now, you know, Vanny, that kind of those four, view the players that they have and the players that they bought um and, and that's a very good point because i think it's something where yeah it just feels like if there, there's going to be an identity there i mean the white caps brought in overhaul they brought in a data guy a money ball guy so to speak and the fact that they've made so many shrewd acquisitions since he's come in like getting a julian gressel at a bargain price and you can, you know, Brian white at a bargain price, you can go down the list, Ryan gold, et cetera, at a bargain price, but now they're not happy with that because you know, they're not getting results. And that's like, well, there are also other factors at play. And again, it's just, it's something where there's so many like network tricks. So I'm struggling to almost piece it together as I speak, but it's uh, it just shows again that, that just that disconnect there and, and, and what it all means and, and where it leaves the white caps right now. Well, the other thing, too, I, I did want to point out in terms of Nikos Overhill's recruitment is that maybe another part of that disconnect was that Overhill wasn't, you know, going to uh, the domestic league in Cameroon or the domestic league in Thailand. Like, he w wasn't necessarily mining for markets that no one else was thinking about. Someone like an Andres Kubas, you know, the Vancouver Whitecaps weren't the only team that centered in on him. Or more recently, you look at a Ty Baribo. There were multiple links out there. Um, that was a guy that was, you know, basically when you when you looked at basic scouting data, he popped up on, on a lot of profiles. So I just feel like maybe there was this sense that, oh, the um, overhaul was going to search far and wide and, and find these really deep, deep diamonds in the rough. And 
And the reality was a little bit more of this combination of you want good guys with underlying numbers, but you also want proven commodities to some degree, like a Matias Laborda who has a hundred appearances at a senior level in a, in a good league. I think about conversations I had with Mark Dos Santos, where he was talking to me about, uh, man, I realized that, you know, not only do we need to recruit good players, but we need to recruit good players from leagues where their experience will directly apply to MLS. And that he'd sort of learned that over his time managing the Whitecaps. And so I just, again, I wonder there if uh, there was a disconnect in terms of the recruitment strategy and maybe they were hoping to spend less money, but find these deeper gems um, that they could uncover. It's interesting. I, I think what the Whitecaps do in terms of recruitment strategy going forward what their next two, three, four signings are will maybe show the cards a little bit in terms of why they weren't happy with Overhaul, why Overhaul decided to part ways, however that ended. I think, uh, you know, if they make some additions in the summer, what they do this upcoming offseason, we'll probably learn more about the end of this marriage as time goes on. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And it's funny, though, because if you're, if you're talking about those unearthed diamonds in the rough, now is the time to go after it because when you're building a spine of a squad, not saying you can't build the spine of your squad with players no one knows, it's just a little easier to. It's much, much more difficult. Like that's a that's a huge gamble that could backfire in your face. Which, it, which that you're making a really good point. Well, it's just something. It's look. It's a lot easier to build a squad around a Ryan Gall, a known commodity in Portugal, Andres Cubas, a known commodity, Julian Gressel. Uh, you know, take your pick, Matias Laborda. It's a lot easier to build a spine around that than, say, a Joaquin Ardais, uh, a, a Yasser Kamiri. You know, some of these players were very high upside. Just, you know, you, you maybe give them a little too much a little too soon. Whereas, to use those examples, just because they're on the tip of the tongue, a Yasser Kamiri right now, if you're bringing in a player like that, a project, someone who, you know, is playing maybe in a lesser known league, you bring in this is where you do it. You bring into a team that has a core that has a culture and then, then it ends up hitting. I think you can even almost use LAFC as an example of that. Cause look, I mean, LAFC, if they've got their core of players, they've got their, their Carlos Velas, like they've got their big names that are on the team, but they got a guy like Mahala out of the second Ghanaian division. Like that's the sort of project that, that only supplements. And Hey, if the white caps do want to do that sort of scouting, this is the time to do it. So it's almost ironic that overhaul's gone. Cause it's like, uh, you know, if he's if he was the one who that was supposed to be his job, this would have been the perfect time because he delivered what he needed to and got a roster, a very good roster. And uh, I, again, I think it's something where you can't, you'd be foolish just to look at results like oh, their last place, et cetera. And I, you know, I've seen that out there. And look, I mean, it's something where it logically it's not wrong. So it's not. I'm not going to say it's it's a you know out, out there or, or, or wrong take to say you can look at this lineup and say it's bad but also i think it's something where if you look at the context of everything it's also not unfair to say it's good even pretty good even uh you could push it that far so <laughs> i just find that funny on that side that the timing again it just it, it's it's it, it doesn't really it's such a weird it's weird timing heck it's something where it's like look if you did it in the off season it wouldn't have been as you know i guess to you lack of a better word stinky <laughs> i don't know if that feels right to, to use that word but look like luke summers great you know great set piece coach he moves on to bournemouth in the summer those moves happen and that's not a that's not a bad move that's a great move that's a great move for white cap sale well we're moving up coaching staff to 
you know, to, to Europe, et cetera. And it could have been something where Overhill just left. It's off season. Contract moves happen all the time. Maybe he got an opportunity elsewhere. It's just the fact that he left five games into the season or four games, I guess, because the fifth game hadn't been played. That's where the, the stinkiness, so to speak, the uh, comes into play. Oh yeah, you talk about stinky, and it all it all just stinks of general dysfunction, right? And, and that's the disappointing part of this is it did it felt gradually like the White Caps were getting it together, and now there's these underlying signs of dysfunction rearing their ugly head again. And I think that's that's really disappointing. Uh, not just you know, obviously the on pitch product so far hasn't produced the final results the team's looking for, but there's also now a sense behind the scenes that all isn't well in that department either. So, you know, water is wet in terms of the white caps. Uh, but, you know, we, we move on. And I think this is, this is one of these moves that we're only going to fully understand as things progress. Um, but speaking of progressing forward, speaking of teams that have been a little bit stinky so far, the Vancouver Whitecaps face CF Montreal this weekend, obviously Montreal, um, you know, Champions League last year and then a big second half of the season. Stars like Alistair Johnston, um, Kamal Miller, just a massive season for them. And, and they've been off to a really slow start this year. So uh, this Saturday at BC Place, a huge opportunity for the Vancouver Whitecaps to earn their first three-point result of the season, uh, their first win at home of the season. Alex, I guess just opening thoughts about the matchup and uh, and opening thoughts about, you know, CF Montreal's struggles so far. Yeah, and I mean, CF Montreal's a fascinating one because they were so good last year and we obviously talked at length about what that meant and what they did so well. Uh, and then it's just this season, it's been a slow start. I think it's understandable. So I think like, they sold Georgi Mihailovic, five plus million. He, he went to, to, to the Netherlands. They sold Ishmael Kone as he went to England. They got good money for both of them. They sold Alistair Johnston uh, to to Celtic. That's three core players, three starters uh, from last year's team. They didn't really replace that in terms of names, at least big names that could, you know, fill those price points at the very least, like five million, five million, five million. You're not bringing, they didn't bring in any players in that realm of, of, of numbers. They were, but they were relying more on internal upgrades and, to be fair, you know, likes of Sean Rea, Nathan Saliba, Mathieu Chouinier, to all to a certain extent have, have showed a lot of promise. And I think that's what's interesting with Montreal is that despite their rough start, there are some encouraging signs. They started all their first three games on the road in pretty tough environments. Like they went to Miami away, never easy. They went to Austin away, never easy. Uh, and I can't remember where the other game was off the top of my mind, but it was also a way and it also uh, wasn't in an easy environment or Nashville. There Nashville. you go. So that's another team that, you know, is never easy to pay, play. They came home for the first game before the break. They played Philadelphia union. Uh, of course, Montreal finished third in MLS last year. Philadelphia was one of the only two teams that finished above them. The other being LAFC and they beat Philadelphia. I mean, you can look at the, I mean, we'll, we'll look at the game and see, was there maybe a bit of luck, uh, hundred percent so maybe if julian Carranza doesn't lose his head you know that doesn't happen but look montreal with their young squad went out against one of the top teams in the league and 
when I watched the game, they played pretty well. Like they just gave up two cheap goals to Philadelphia and then they just, they got it back in the end. That's signs of a young team, maybe finding its feet under a new coach with new players, which we do have to remember. And I think that's something for the white caps where this game is a bit of a worrying time because Montreal's coming off that result. They're the only team in MLS to get a break, which they're probably the team that needed it the most because another asterisk, maybe with their, their slow start, they've been missing most of their key players that they did keep around. Like Kamal Miller's been fighting fitness. Joel Waterman missed the first few games. Samuel Piet's been injured. Like the only real like healthy regular has just been Wanyama in the middle of the park. And it's been a bit of a rotating cast around them. They lost James Pantemis in goal. So they got a bunch of guys healthy. So they're coming here rested, healthy, and showed signs of figuring things out in their last game. So for the Whitecaps, a team that desperately needs a win, this, is a, this isn't a case where they're playing the Galaxy team that's also in similar disarray. It's one where Montreal has shown signs of, of potentially being on an upswing. Yeah, I think the, the big thing that stood out to me with Montreal is the youth movement, right? I mean, they've got a 40-year-old head coach who who was the youngest coach in MLS at the time that um, he first got a head gig with DC United. They've got an average squad age of 23.9. And then, you know, you look at you look at that, the way the roster is actually constructed and you've got Waterman and Miller at the back with, uh, oh, I'm, for, I'm forgetting now. Who's Rudy in, Camacho. Who's in the middle of the, Rudy Camacho, yes, exactly. Uh, then you got Wanyama in the midfield and I guess Piet went healthy, but other than that, they've been rotating through a bunch of youngsters. And then up front, Romel Kyoto, but other than that, Mason Toy is your most veteran attacking option. Then you've got, a couple of young Nigerians on the squad, you know, guys really just cutting their teeth in MLS. Um, so I think it's just been so far, their form has been representative of that kind of wildly inconsistent, right? You've just, you've got a bunch of young guys who maybe haven't found their footing, don't know their role yet. You're missing some key vets. Um, you know, I even think of not that these were absolute game breakers for CF Montreal, but I think to, you know, target men forwards, like, Bjorn Janssen and, and Kai Kamara, like having a consistent target man up front for Montreal, that was a valuable commodity. And they just haven't found a, a plug and play natural replacement for that. Right. And so ditto with, you know, ditto with obviously everything Ismail Kone and Jordi Mihailovic were able to do that last year. Those are even more difficult pieces to replace, but uh, yeah, I think this is a work in progress for Montreal, but I, I think it's going to be a fun team to watch as the season goes on. Cause as you said, some of these guys could really grow and, and develop into their roles. Uh, Hernan Lozada could, could really blossom as a head coach with this team. I think there's probably more, more potential, more to be excited about with this project than there was in DC, especially with a franchise that maybe didn't put a hundred percent faith into their head coach. So it's interesting. Now, at the same time, kind of like the LA Galaxy, if you're Vancouver, you're hoping that you've caught them early enough in the season to still have the upper hand, right? I mean, personally, the thing that I was going through in this is I look at the midfield. Now, the Whitecaps are going to, looks like they're going to be missing Alessandro Schaaf. But nonetheless, I think of Ryan Gall, Julian Gressel in the midfield. Yes, Victor Wanyama is a very good player, but I just don't know what else CF Montreal has that they could really throw at the Whitecaps 
uh, where the the home team is not going to have the the tactical and and sort of just overall quality advantage in the midfield. So I do think that plays in the Whitecaps' favor. It's just a question of you know solving some of those defensive frailties and actually uh, getting Ryan White or maybe Simon Betcher if he gets a start. I mean, uh, you know, shout out to to Betcher who's been putting in work and limited minutes. Um, can those guys find the back of the net? But uh, yeah, I, I wonder, you know, is CF Montreal able to build on uh, maybe a bit of a lucky result, but one that probably inspired a lot of confidence a couple of weeks ago? Are they able to carry that into Vancouver or can Vancouver's quality, especially in the midfield, kind of shine through and they can take control of this match? Yeah, and I think the big question as well is how healthy of a Montreal team are you getting? Because that's also been just a big issue. Because I think the most interesting thing was last year defensively, we had all the praise in the world for how good they were defensively in terms of XG. They were one of, if not the top team in terms of XG against. They just had some horrendous goalkeeping in the first half. That you know was why they conceded so many goals. And then they got James Pantemis to figure it out. And it's been funny this year because for the most part, while well, Pantemis didn't last long in the first game, and Jonathan Sirwa has been very good, the former Valor, you know, goalkeeper. Vancouver fans will either be familiar with him through through his Valor days, or the the one day he joined the Whitecaps just to sit on their bench when they they were short a few goalkeepers in MLS's back. But Sirwa stepped up and, and looked very good. But what's really hurt Montreal is from what I've been able to see watching them this year. It's just, yeah, that, that lack of health at the at the backs. I think it helped a lot last year that, for the most part, in most games, you were getting one Yama anchor in the midfield. It was mostly Piet alongside him, of course, Kone as well. Maybe it was sometimes those three in a trio, et cetera. And then at the back, it was Miller, Camacho, Waterman, uh, you know, and sometimes things would move around at wing back. For the most part, it'd be Johnson on the right and Lapalainen on the left. You look this year, first of all, there's just been question marks at right center backs waterman started injured so they had aaron herrera there he's not a natural center back he's a wing back and then there was that camacho miller and then miller picked up a knock right when waterman came back and also piet spent a day at center back and then herrera went back up to right wing back let's just say it's not ideal for a team that that is so centered around the good play of their midfield and center backs because piet got injured playing center backs when they lost piet in the middle and then it was just one yama I remember the one game I watched, it was him. It was Wanyama, Nathan Saliba, and Matthew Schwanier. And it was just like Wanyama was asked to do way too much defensively. And again, it put strain on their defenders. So I think the biggest thing for Montreal is looking at their lineup availability for this game. Of course, we're still early in the week. It's just Wednesday when we're recording. So things can change fast. But as of today, it sounds like uh, Hernan Losada. Uh, reporters out of Montreal are saying that the only ones who are out are Lassie Lapalina, which is a bit of a surprise because he's been mostly healthy, and Jules Anthony Vilsaint, who's a, you know a depth striker hasn't played it all this year. Kamal Miller uh, and Samuel Piet are both probable for Saturday, as well as Aaron Herrera, who had a knock. Like again, just to show how much hard Montreal's been hit by injury, I didn't even know Herrera had a knock. Um, so if, if with Miller and Piet looking healthy, that means they could run Wanyama, Piet, Waterman, Miller. Camacho, which I think would be a huge difference because look, we'll talk about the offense in a sec. We know Montreal is going to struggle offensively. They've shown that, but the defense was the bigger surprise given how good they were last year and that they retained most of their back line. 
Well, yeah, something I was just going to add there as you sort of ran through the backline options is I feel like Aaron Herrera, you know, we talked about earlier um, his his move in the offseason. And I think that's something that long term for Montreal, like that's a that's a tool they didn't have in their pocket last season. You know, not not the same, a different profile than an Alistair Johnson. Right. So I think if he can actually be fit and stay healthy and kind of find his spot in the team that's a dangerous weapon for them going forward. And as you said, maybe can provide um, some service, some extra um, attacking guile that right now, other than Romel Kyoto, no one on CF Montreal has produced more than one expected goal. I don't think anyone is over 1.0 expected assists. They're just, you know, while the Whitecaps, they've had tons of chance creation, but maybe not the goals. Uh, see if Montreal has just not had really any chance creation. I mean, yes, three matches on the road to start the season, but uh, didn't score a single goal in any of those three matches. And overall, I mean, looking at the XG, you know, especially against Nashville, just completely dominated 1.5 to 0.3. The loss in Austin, 2.0 to 0.6. Now at Inter-Miami, it was quite hectic. Like that was a hair on fire type of match. So 2.8 XG for uh, Miami and 2 XG for CF Montreal, despite the fact they didn't score a goal. So that was a bit tough. But overall, um, out XG'd in those first three matches and uh, especially those those second two on the road, basically nothing to show for it. So uh, in terms of coaching, in terms of personnel, there's uh, still some work to be done in terms of just creating more offensively because especially if they don't have a defensive solution right away there, they're going to need to find some goals. Yeah. And that's going to be the interesting question is we know Kyoto is going to play, but after that, it's all question marks. I think Sean Rea, based on what he's shown this year, he's probably been the brightest of the attacking options, not named Kyoto for the most part, just in terms of he's created a lot of chances. Um, Because of course I'd count Matthias Schoenier as more of a midfielder. Uh, and I think, again, Schwanier, I'll just preface by saying he should become a number eight long term because he's looked his best there. I think it's worth noting for this game, he'll probably play at left wing back to replace Lassie Lapalainen. We can go into projected lineups for both teams. Maybe, of course, we will for the Whitecaps. Maybe we can even give a look at Montreal since we know a little more than most MLS teams that come through to town about Montreal. At least given I watch all their games, and I'm sure Sam as well is tucked into to a Montreal game here or there himself. But in terms of their attacking options, just the reality that a lot of them haven't looked all that settled other than Kyoto. I mean, Sanusi Ibrahim's a frustrating one because he has these flashes, but also doesn't show much. Chinonso a four could be the wild card because he's, you know, they acquired him late last year. He went on loan to to Zultavor again, came back, scored last week and actually looked very good or not last week, two weeks ago and looked very good against Philadelphia and could be a bit of a wild card just because he's huge. First of all, he's a physical, just, menace in terms of his size and he's got a good combo of speed decent touch can hold up the ball maybe that's sort of more of a Kai Kamara placement internally than they realized they had uh there so maybe he could be someone but yeah that's like he even he's been taking his time to hit the ground running uh and you look at some of the other names that hurt them so if they maybe they can find a combination that works maybe it's something where they replicate last year where it was a front through Mihailovic Kyoto and Kamara, maybe they can find something similar by going Kyoto, 
for Rhea, maybe, you know, the, the similar profile, similar setup, or maybe they just continue to go to number 10s and just try to feed Kyoto. I don't know how Kyoto's a weird striker where he loves to drift out wide. He loves to turn into a winger. This is just really kind of funny and anecdotal, but uh, you know, there was, we're, there were numbers, sorry, uh, for, for Honduras uh, ahead of Canada's nations league game. And there's a stat that was, that killed me that it was, Romel Kyoto was Honduras's top crosser of the ball in the last year of all competitions. And Romel Kyoto was also the top receiver of crosses of the ball on Honduras in all competitions. So he's just, he's such a weird profile. He's not your typical number nine. So maybe pairing a guy like a four alongside him could be the way to get the most out of him. Okay. So just before we dive into potential projected lineups and how we see this matchup actually going, We'll just drop a few Whitecaps notes. As I mentioned earlier, obviously no Sergio Cordova out for an extended period, but uh, courtesy of hard journalists at training yesterday, also no Alessandro shot for this upcoming match, which I think is maybe a bit of a surprise because we didn't know explicitly that there was a major injury. I do wonder if that is uh, sort of load management in advance of LAFC in the Champions League midweek if they... If he's a bit touch and go, they might just have made the decision that they're going to hold him for that midweek match. Not entirely sure. And in a similar vein, Javane Brown back at training, coming back from uh, from duty with Jamaica. And Andres Kubas, I think probably as we speak or relatively soon, is in transit uh, back to Vancouver. So I do wonder about those two as well. How does Vanny Sartini play it? given that they've got a weekend matchup in MLS and then a big first leg of CONCACAF Champions League midweek, could someone like a Kubas uh, take a rest on the weekend? Seb Berhalter looked pretty good in that defensive midfield role. I'm not sure where they'll they'll go, but I do wonder specifically, Alex, um, in terms of if you don't have shop and you're looking to maybe give Kubas some rest, do you just go with a slightly different midfield composition for this matchup? Like I was thinking, do you get a a Burhalter and Gall, or not Burhalter and Gall, Burhalter and Gressel as sort of, you know, dual central midfielders with then Gall just playing in front of them? Something like that, dropping Gall back into the midfield and opportunity to give Pedro Vite a start. So yeah, curious for your thoughts in terms of, you know, given injuries, given recovery from international duty, Given Champions League upcoming, how do you feel like Vanny Sartini might manage this one in terms of bodies? Yeah, it's an interesting question because, yeah, Kubas, he went 96 minutes for Paraguay against Chile in uh, the Estadio Monumental de David Arellano, which is Colo Colo's stadium in Chile. I'm just saying that for perspective that Chile is very freaking far in terms of the map and there's certainly something where he played on Monday, so there should be sufficient rest, but the travel time, the fact that the fixture congestion coming up, it's something where maybe you use Kubas as your break glass in case of emergency. Like you're at home, Berhalter played well. It, it's something where, again, it feels like, again, it's just so wild to see the midfield hasn't really been the problem. Even in Minnesota where you're missing a Kubas, the midfield hasn't been a problem. So it's something where you take your, you hedge your bets with uh, Burhalter and um, uh, with with Gressel and maybe if you can you put Gold alongside him. 
And then you could always just have Kubas on the bench be your break glass in case of emergency, so to speak. You also have JC Gando as well. You could slot in uh, as an option and then go from there. So I don't hate that idea, especially if you're looking ahead to the future, because um, yeah, it's something where just that, that travel. And if you, you don't want to just given that Kubas has dealt with Knox before, you do not want to stretch him if needed, if not needed. So something if he's good to go, of course you, you give him as much as you can, maybe you run him 60 off the start just to get that solidity. But it's also something where if you're the white cap, you could be confident enough in your depth to maybe just have him there as like the, the, the break glass. If you, if you really, you're really struggling. And the other thing too is that Javain Brown was substituted at halftime against Mexico. I don't know if that was actually injury related or if that was just tactical, but um, I, I wonder how he's progressing this week. So that could kind of go both ways, or maybe he's nursing something. Maybe he's a little extra rested because he he came off after 45 minutes. So uh, yeah, I wonder what they'll do this weekend at, at fullback. I mean, Alex, do we just want to dive into two lineup predictions and, and score predictions for this one? Yeah, I mean, may as well. I guess uh, we can we can dive certainly into the Whitecaps. I don't know if we want to look at Montreal. I don't know if you have much in terms of you want to say or project about Montreal, but we, we could as well just to get an idea. Of well, sh- sure. I mean, I mean, if we look looking through Montreal, um, supposedly like building off of that Philadelphia match, Sirwan goal, obviously, uh, Joel Waterman, Rudy Camacho, Kamal Miller at the back, if all if all healthy. Uh, you you mentioned Lassie Lapalainen is out, so they'll have to fill those shoes. And then I'm assuming if um, if Piet is good to go, you'd roll with Victor Wanyama and Samuel Piet as your your sort of dual holding midfielders. Um, Aaron Herrera, if available, would would play in one of those wide roles. I don't know, Alex, who would uh, if you're doing kind of three and then four across the midfield, and you've got Piet. Wanyama and Herrera, who would fill that fourth role, uh, that lap and line and role at the moment? I think that's Chouinier. I think it's something where he's the human Swiss army knife on Montreal and he's played left wing back before. Again, I want him to play eight long term, but this is a good opportunity to keep him in with Piet. Maybe you get that extra defensive solidity and, you know, Chouinier lap line and typically plays a freer role than the right wing back just because he's more of a natural winger. And I think that could suit Schwanier just to have that freedom to maybe tuck in because Kamal Miller also tends to love to adventure and push forward from that left center back uh, a role. He likes to, to get in the final third. So that allows Schwanier to tuck in and inform a third, a third option midfield to counter Vancouver because they're going to be quite strong in midfield. And then I'm thinking uh, Sean Ray at the, at the 10, Romo Kyoto up front, and then the other striker spot is a sort of Russian roulette. Uh, pick your adventure. It could be Mason Toy, um, who who could certainly provide decent minutes, but it could be could be one of the youngsters. Could be an 04 as well. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure exactly where they'll go with that, but I think there's at least you know seven, eight, nine positions there for Montreal where where I have a, a decent beat on what. Yeah, I think it's. Poise the favorite, but I think 04 is not behind far behind after that cameo. So I think either way, that's trouble for the white caps. I think if anything, if you're Montreal, you go 04 just because you see that the white caps are just struggling to fend anything with their life for their lives in terms of crosses and a four again. Like if you get a chance to watch, he's a unit. Like he is a unit uh, uh in terms of a striker. And so the fact that the white caps have just been giving up headed goals left, right, and center 
a four bullied Philadelphia center backs, which is a good unit. They had like three, you know, three of their four defenders last year, almost made best 11. Like it's, it's a good defensive unit. So the fact that Oh four went out there and bullied them shows that I, I for Montreal, it could make sense tactically to do that. If not, Mason toy is always dangerous. Although he's still finding his feet a bit this year. He almost scored a nice bicycle kick in that, in that Philadelphia game to be fair to him. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh you know that that that's a pretty decent lineup for Montreal. As much as we talked about some youngsters, some some tactical inconsistency, they are slowly getting healthy and, and working themselves into form. Especially if those guys listed probable can all play on the weekend. Okay, so transitioning to Vancouver, look at their lineup. Yoi Takaoka. I don't think there's much question there. Um, and this is, I'm going to predict what I, what I think Vanny will actually line up in on the weekend, not necessarily, um, my recommended 11. So I'm going to say that Tristan Blackman, Reiko Veselinovich remain the center backs and that we see Ryan Raposo and Javane Brown as, as fullbacks alongside them. That, that seems to be Vanny Sartini's first choice back line at the moment. Javane, um, hopefully is, is good to go fitness wise. And then, as I mentioned in the midfield, without shop, I think you probably see Gall drop back. That just seems like the most natural thing uh, for them to do. So I'm going to go Seb Berhalter and Julian Gressel with Ryan Gauld. And then beyond that, uh, I think you see Pedro Vite get a start. I wonder if this is the only thing I'm thinking about in terms of the front three do you mess with a Simon Betcher and Brian White starting together? I know Vanny's liked Brian White in that pseudo number 10 role. Simon Betcher, even we saw a couple of really nice passes combining with Brian White. Uh, I, I wonder if they start together or if Dahomey gets another start. So heck, I'm going to say that Brian White starts in that, that pseudo number 10 role and that Simon Betcher gets a start up front and that that's the lineup they go with. But, I could also see Dahomey starting as well because that that would hardly shock. Yeah, it's one of those where we go between what we've seen, what we'd adjust, and what will happen, and that's always the hardest balance to find. I think yeah, it's something where Takoka is in goal. I think that's the one you can rate him with Pen. I think Raposo left back. I think it's something where we'll probably see again Ranko, uh, Blackman, and 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 Jervain Brown, like you mentioned, although. It would be nice to see Laporta just slot in the middle, maybe with Blackman, just to provide a different look. Maybe with Ranko, take your pick there. But I, yeah, it's something where maybe he gets Champions League on the midweek. We, you know, we don't, we don't know there. And then in midfield, I think it's something where it's Gressel. I'm gonna go Kubas. I think just because it's like it's something where I think they'd rather start him from the the get go, even if he only trained a few days, just because he's so key, and you know, maybe just to lock things down against this Montreal team. Plus, they, they would have a couple good couple days of rest and they're not traveling after. So it's something where it's like, it's not as if they have to go play in LA in midweek or something like that. Um, then the kind of the two mystery balls, so to speak, is for me, Betcher or Ngando. Because either you go Ngando at the eight, just because he's looked good in that position that allows you to keep Gold higher up the field. And then you could go Gold Vite White, which can be a good attack, or you could go you know, Gauld Dahomey if you want to stick there, which, you know, I'd obviously prefer to see some more Gauld than Vite. Or what you could do is you slide Gauld back and then you put Vite at the 10 and then you do the Betcher white, like you mentioned. So I think given that you went more for Betcher white, I'll throw in the 
the the Ingando show just because I think it could be interesting. Control the midfield a bit, get a little more, you know, creativity to add to some industry. And you know, again, it's something where yeah, you want Betcher on the field given his chances, but maybe it's something where look, you you give him that chance to keep proving himself in a super sub role. Maybe it's something where again, it's it's something where I'm not looking at Brian White and yeah, he needs to score a goal eventually, but. This is this is where you really, as a stat nerd, you get tr- tested because Brian White again just having this sort of heater in terms of XG that you just can't scoff at. But he just needs to put a darn goal in the the back of the net. So it's like you, you trust that he figures that out. And if he doesn't, maybe you yank him at fifty five, sixty to light a fire, and you let Besher run for the last thirty. So maybe that's how I'd go about things. But you could also see Betcher and White pair together. Yeah, I just want to pick up on the thing about Brian White in terms of, you know, having to trust the stats. The one thing that's kept me optimistic about Brian White, and I don't know how other people don't see this because some people are saying, oh, that's it. Like, take Brian White out, and put Simon Betcher in immediately. It would be one thing if White's underlying XG numbers were fantastic and the eye test wasn't matching that at all. Like, if he looked like a bad striker and... He had these great underlying numbers and he wasn't scoring Then Okay. I understand it. But to me, Brian White has looked tremendous at striker. He's been producing the XG. He just hasn't scored. So to me, actually keeping faith at this point is not that difficult because I'm seeing all the right striker things to score goals other than the ball going in the back of the net. So obviously that's an important role of a striker is the ball actually finding the back of the net. But just in terms of hold up play, off ball movement, little combinations with guys like Ryan Gold, I've I've loved what I've seen so far this season. So uh, yeah, I don't want to see that stop anytime soon. And so I think, you know, just continuing to put that faith in Brian White is going to pay off eventually. He's, he's going to score a brace soon enough. Like it's, it's the kind of striker he is. It just, he'll heat up and then it'll be, um, balls in the back of the net you know he's he's found his form in champions league so I, I fully expect him to score on wednesday against lafc yeah look um if you're looking for me to come in here and and tear down brian white for not finishing his chances you've, you've come to the wrong person just because again I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a former former sometimes still moonlight as a striker and i just there's brian white reminds me a lot of myself and sometimes in the way that uh you know i, I remember i had one year back in the day where I was holding up the ball grade. I was getting assists, getting chances created. Couldn't finish to save my darn life. You know, you had some people mess with me, like time to bench you, time to get you off the field. And then all, all came true at once. And you just, you go on a heater and not saying I'm, I'm Brian White. Cause this guy scored a lot of professional goals and you know, I can, I can count my, my days in Sunday league as, as, as the peak of my, my performance, but it's just something where uh, as someone I think it's it's harder at the striker position to do the little things like hold up the ball, occupy defenders, and just be an overall disruption because goals come and go. Like it's something where even at the highest of levels, there's games where you get one chance, there's games where you get ten, and of course the best will finish no matter what. And there's a reason typically those ty- types of strikers end up to play play for Barcelona's. They're your Robert Lewandowski's, you know, they're your Erling Hollands, etc. I think. If Brian White was able to score all these chances he's generating, he'd be playing at a far higher level than uh, he is now just because that's the nature of the striker position. So if he could keep doing the hard stuff, at least that's what you call it because no one likes to run and press and hold up the ball and get beat up and be physical. 
and keeps getting the chances generated, he'll score. He'll, he'll, he'll definitely score. So it's something where, look, it's frustrating and it's the easy thing to blame. All oh, the strikers not scoring, it's costing points. Uh, but but it's also something where you, you can only be encouraged uh, by just the sort of areas he's getting in, right? Like it's something where you'd rather that than a striker that just goes around. And even if he's scoring, like it's something where you're wondering, okay, when's it going to end? At least with Brian White, it's nice to know that when's it going to start? And he's doing a lot of this that that added work on top of it. Okay, well, without further ado, really, I'm gonna I'm just gonna throw it right back to you because normally I'm the first one to go score and result prediction, and I I can't make up my mind about this one. I think I get conflicted when there's two Canadian teams, and I I kind of like both of them. So uh, yeah, I want to hear what you have to say about this one before I make up my mind. Yeah, putting me on the spot and not completely sure either i think something where again white caps at home the easy money is always on a win but can the white caps get that win we've said that about minnesota we said that you know in terms of heading into other games so it's something where i think for the predictions i'm just going to go with 2-2 vancouver and montreal have played some fun games in the past montreal will you know they've played a few games on the road the white caps just continues their run of draws and i think they, a result like that makes things very spicy heading into champions league uh, in terms of just the pressure to get a result there so i'm gonna go two two just based on or actually i'm gonna go one one just because two two is a bit much to say the white caps concede both two goals in a game and get and score two goals in a game but i'll go one one to keep the just the train of whatever the heck's been going on lately going Oh man, I don't know if that helps me that much. So I've had this thing going on where logic, sort of the the run of form so far this season dictates that I've been continuing to think, man, that well, the Whitecaps, the results are going to show eventually for how decently this team's playing. But then the the sort of evil side of me has said, well, this Montreal team's coming along. They're finally going to be a little bit fit. Um the Whitecaps just can't find a way to get results this season. I could easily see a Montreal road win and then real panics setting in Whitecaps land. So you know what? I- I'm going to do it. I'm going with it. We're going to go 2-1 Montreal. Oh. Big road victory. I-, I don't know. Yeah, I just something about it to me. Um, I think the Whitecaps in a lot of ways should pick up their first home win of the season. But uh yeah, maybe I'm just getting excited by by previewing this Montreal team. Um, we'll see. I, I really do think this one could go either way. I just hope it's not another draw, to be honest, because enough of those uh, three in a row. That's enough for me. I need I need real blood, real results. So uh, I honestly don't care who wins. I just I, I'd like to see three points given out at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's uh, something. It'd be nice to at least see some goals, some excitement. Heck, if it's a if it's a draw, please be a 3-3 draw or something. But no, like in reality, a 4-3 game wouldn't hurt anyone going to BC place. But look, we'll see. I think for the Whitecaps, just a win in MLS play. Again, it feels like something where we saw it Champions League. It just feels like they need that dam to burst, so to speak. And uh, maybe this can be the game for that dam to burst because you, you sure would like to have it in the pocket before you face LAFC across two legs of anything. So uh that's something where it puts the pressure on a little bit. Let's just say that. Absolutely. Well, uh, Alex, any any final comments here before we before we sign off? I think that that pretty much covers it. We didn't dive into Minnesota that much, but to be honest, I think that uh, anyone who listens to this show on a regular basis 
probably knows our our thoughts about that match. So uh, yeah, felt felt pertinent to dive into the overhaul topic to dive into CF Montreal, especially because it's an all Canadian matchup in a little bit more depth. Oh, 100%. I think it's something where, look, it's uh, we know where things stand with the Whitecaps, and I think it makes things very clear that they just need to get these results. They need to get them quick and uh, just go from there uh, because playing good, but that line, as we mentioned, or at least I mentioned off the top, that line between playing good, getting results, how long can you be, especially in the no excuses year, certainly <laughs> Probably about the worst way you could have started the no excuses year. Because if you if you played garbage, you could be like, all right, well, I just got to be better and you know make some changes. Whereas now the fact that you're playing good but not getting results is always the most frustrating. Because it's like, do you just hold the course and trust the process, so to speak, and think that the dam will burst? Do you tweak? Do you make changes? That's uh, it's honestly always the hardest part to to make. Because again, it's easy to analyze a terrible team because then you just say tear it up, start things over, make things new. But there's enough promise that you can't say that. So question is, how the heck do you go about best doing that? Of course, we have our ideas, but uh, those who make a lot more money uh, than us, certainly on, on the, the high level, and it's their job, their pressure to to turn things around. Of course, we can just merely offer suggestions. <laughs> so uh, we'll see what their, their ways of going about it, because uh, one thing that I think everyone can agree on is that they need results. They need them fast and Again, no better way to start at home just to get the ball rolling in some sorts before uh, things really snowball. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll go ahead and sign off first. And this one's uh, this one's going to be a little different this time. You can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter, but at thethirdsub.ca, our new website. Be sure to check that out. You can find our podcast third sub pod on Twitter, the third sub on Instagram. I would also just say on the socials front, we're going to be rolling some new things out, launching some new things. So really, if you just, you know, get in the search bar, you type in the third sub, uh, you're going to find what you want to find. And and we're also looking forward to, uh, you know, re-upping and uh, revitalizing some of the socials as time goes on here to reflect the new changes to the website. So, uh, Stay tuned for that. Alex, over to you. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a bit weird to change the sign-off, but you find me on Twitter, Alex Kongeruzic, and I can't say at btsfancity.com, because Sam, of course, uh, you know, teed at the beginning. So at the third sub, (laughs) underscore, (laughs) uh, for for, for both, of course. And yeah, make sure you check out the site. Let us know what you you think. And uh, excited to see what we're we're able to do with this uh, team of, of bright, young, uh, you know, minds who love the game and I'm sure a team that will, will continue to grow and continue to, to just chase after all these great storylines that are emerging in uh, the great province of BC, but of course, country of Canada. So excited to keep doing that. And of course, the pod is going nowhere for now. So we'll, we'll be excited to be back for a new episode, although it's uh, going to be weird just that the third sub podcast isn't the only third sub entity around anymore it's it's gonna be we're really gonna have to make sure that we call it the third sub podcast not the just the third sub anymore so little details like that but uh i'm sure we'll figure it out as time goes and i'm excited to 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 do that so on that note we'll we'll definitely chat again soon and uh can't wait to to see what the next week brings us